Thank you, Timothy. Well, good morning. Christ Central, if you have your Bibles, meet me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, as Timothy said, I'm Evan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I know some of you are, are disappointed that we're not able to gather together this morning. And I share uh, with you in that disappointment. Uh, there, there is no substitute uh, to being able to see you face to face and have the joy of being in your presence. Uh, but I'm thankful that you're tuning in. So that we can still worship together as uh, we seek to, to remain safe in this inclement weather. So praying that you're staying warm and staying, uh, staying safe and, and glad that uh, we still have this, this moment together. Well, last week uh, we started a new sermon series uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians uh, titled Power and Weakness. Pastor Daniel, he, he started out framing for us how the gospel invites us to experience the power of God by embracing our weakness. And this is the refrain of the Apostle Paul throughout his exchange uh, with the Corinthians. Uh, and this morning we continue uh, in chapter 1 uh, of this book. And in our passage this morning, we're, we're going to, to see Paul uh, he's modeling for the church and for us power and weakness. Uh, even though this church is uh, convinced that, that Paul is too weak uh, to lead. Because what's happening is the Corinthians, they, they had a certain perspective of what their, their pastor was supposed to look like, talk like, behave like. And when Paul failed to meet their perspectives, the, the church turned on him. And what we'll see in this passage is Paul, he, he actually remains tender uh, towards the church uh, and still holds great love for them even in the pain of, of conflict. Uh, he is weak, uh, and that's actually an asset uh, for the church and a model for us. So I'm going to read for us uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 12 uh, to chapter 2, starting, uh, ending in verse 4. And you can feel free to stand uh, to give attention to the word as is our custom here. Uh, hear now the word of the Lord. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to, to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, a word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. 
That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. When I call God to witness against me, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who was there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, what a great privilege it is to know you and to know your word. Lord, thank you that when we open your word, you open your mouth and you speak. Lord, I ask that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, we need you. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Some time ago, I saw a video of a young boy trying to pump himself up to be the greatest hitter in the world. The video begins, and and you can see this boy with with a bucket of of baseballs in one hand and and a bat in the other. And uh, he he walks in this sunny day to this abandoned baseball field, uh, and he's preparing himself for practice. He walks up to the home plate, puts the bucket down, grabs a baseball, and he squares his shoulders, breathes in, and says, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Then he throws the ball in the air, takes the bat, swings, whoosh, misses the ball. Hmm, strike one, he says. So again, he picks the ball up and squares his shoulders and says, declares it, I am the greatest hitter in the world. He throws the ball up and takes the bat, swings, whoosh, misses the ball. Strike two, hmm, he says. Again, he grabs the ball, picks it up. This time he, he spits in his hands, try to get a better grasp on the bat, adjusts his hat, Squares his shoulders and declares, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. He throws the ball up, takes the bat, swings, whoosh, dramatic fashion. Misses the ball again. Strike three. Hmm, he says. The boy looks puzzled for a moment. Then all of a sudden, a smile comes across his face. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. And he starts jumping up and down and excited. 
And the point that the video producers were trying to make is that sometimes life is about a matter of perspective. In our passage this morning, we see Paul and he is having an issue of perspective with the Corinthian believers. Paul's relationship is one of the most dramatic relationships with the church I have ever seen. Uh, but what's dripping from each letter as he writes is this high regard and this tender love. Daniel mentioned last week that the city of Corinth uh, was a city that was a booming metropolitan city. One commentator said that it was like New York City, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas of the ancient world. The city featured style, status, power, wealth. It was booming in its time. And then here comes the Apostle Paul. No style, no status, no wealth. He's clear in 1 Corinthians. He, he didn't come to them with lofty speech or wisdom. He didn't come flexing for them. He says in, in 1 Corinthians 2.2, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. No style, no status, no wealth. But Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And you would think that that's enough for a church, right? But it wasn't for the Corinthians. They wanted a little something extra. And furthermore, Paul had the nerve to try to correct their lifestyle. In his first letter to them, he, he confronts their, their divisions. He confronts their sexual sins. He, he confronts their idolatry, and the list goes on. He meddled with their lives, and some in the church didn't appreciate that. So they tried to, to undermine his teaching by undermining his authority. And so between 1 Corinthians, the letter, and 2 Corinthians, Paul visits them once in person and confronts them. And then later he leaves and he sends them a letter reflecting on what he calls that painful visit. But the drama doesn't end there. In the midst of constant conflict between Paul and the church, the Corinthians begin listening to who Paul sarcastically calls in chapters 11 and 12 super apostles. People that were, were coming to the Corinthian church with style and status and telling them that they shouldn't listen to the Apostle Paul. Not because he said anything that was a lie, but because he wasn't flashy enough. They equated style with spiritual strength. So the Corinthians are all stirred up by this conflict with Paul and these super apostle frauds in this passage. Paul addresses some specific issues that the church had with him. Paul did not follow the original plan that he set out with the Corinthians. We see it in verse 15 through verse 17, uh, that he was supposed to visit them twice, but ended up visiting them once uh, and instead sending a letter. And because this happened, the Corinthians' perspective of Paul was, he's unreliable, he's not godly. He can't be our pastor because if he was, he would have fit into our perspective. He's too weak to be our leader. So Paul responds to these accusations. 
He responds by affirming his weakness through boasting in three things. He boasts in the grace of God, the promises of God, and the love of God. Paul actually wants them to know that he is weak because in his weakness, God's glory is on display and it shows forth through the grace of God, the promises of God, and the love of God. We see Paul talking about the grace of God in verses 12 through verse 14. He's boasting. And it's interesting that Paul uses the language of boasting in this letter far more than any other letter he wrote. Almost 30 instances of boasting, but his boasting, it has a a formula. I am nothing, God is everything. If you want status and power, you won't find it with me or with these super apostles, it's only in Christ. So let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's what he does. And what he's alluding to in verses 12 through 14 is another criticism uh, that the church had against Paul. Uh, The criticism was that he didn't really make sense in his writings. If Paul's so godly, why can't we understand what he's writing? It's wild, isn't it? Because they couldn't understand Paul, it must be because he's not walking with God. And Paul says in response, my conscience is clear. And when he says this, he's he's not saying that he's unbothered or he doesn't have any inadequacies. What he's saying here is that my life is open to you. It's open to your scrutiny. The testimony of my life is a testimony of God's grace, not my writing style. Come, look. And I love how he, how he talks about it. He, he says in verse 14, even if you don't understand me, one thing I know is that you will boast about God's grace in my life, even if it means it happens in eternity. In other words, you're stuck with me. So you might as well get used to me. You can try to throw me away if you want to, but I'm not going anywhere because the grace of God isn't going anywhere. And he's making the point that the grace of God, it binds us much deeper than anything else. Brothers and sisters, when you think about relationship to the church, is your relationship built on the grace of God? Or is it on status, common ground, similar interests? Paul is saying, regardless of that, there's going to be some misunderstanding at some point, but the grace of God, it it maintains. Secondly, Paul boasts about the promises of God. You see it in verse 15 through verse 22. Paul gets into it with the Corinthians. And for the sake of time, I won't dive deeply here, but what Paul is trying to do in these verses is address their perspective about their plans and his plans. Because in their perspective, because Paul didn't do what he said he was going to do, That calls everything about Paul into question. His character, his leadership, his salvation is called into question. It's a bold accusation. I wish I could say is unusual with church people, but it's not. But Paul's response is not trying to focus on defending himself. He explains in verse 15 through verse 18, he, he wasn't trying to be back and forth. He, he wasn't vacillating. He, he wasn't being dishonest. 
when the plans change, but, but then he, he pivots. He pivots to the faithfulness of the promises of God. Verse 20, he says, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Why is this significant? Paul's trying to address a worldview question here. He's trying to to go from the criticism and kind of widen the lens to what's really going on. Because if God does not fit in my plans, what does that say about me? What does that say about God? What does that say about God's people? I I hear it over and over again as, as I talk with folks that are struggling in their faith. If God is real... Why doesn't he do what I think he ought to do? If God is good, if God is loving, if God is faithful, then why doesn't he fit into my plans? Paul is saying here, you think you're mad at me, but what you're really struggling ultimately with is trusting God when plans change. And he says in verse 20, we say amen to God because whatever he does It's for his glory. And the people of God have always struggled to trust God when plans change and perspectives are out of alignment. Adam and Eve, don't touch the fruit. Well, we didn't plan for that. Should we trust God or this serpent? Abraham, Sarah, you will birth many nations. We didn't plan for that. Should we trust God? Should we trust Hagar? Our elderly age. Moses, don't strike the rock, speak to it. I didn't plan for that. Should I trust God or trust my anger? Israel, I will send you a king and I will make his name great. We didn't plan for that. Should we trust God or should we trust the other nations around us and how they do kings? People of God, I will send you the son of God and he will take away the sins of the world. We didn't plan for that. Should we trust God or should we crucify him? Over and over again, God's people have struggled to trust God when plans change. But the promises of God are yes, always yes, even when we struggle to trust him. And Paul says, I'm boasting especially when plans change. Because God doesn't. He is faithful. And here's what, what happens downstream of boasting in God's pr- uh, promises. Uh, you, you see everything and everyone with his eyes and his perspective. Look at verse 21, verse 22. Paul says four things. He says, God establishes us together. God has anointed us. God has put his seal on us. And God has given us his spirit in our hearts. Who is the active agent here? God. As Paul is addressing this worldview question that's ultimately about God, and if, they can tr- if he can trust God, the next question then is, what do you think of God's servant? Is your perspective these four things? Do you talk about God's church and God's people like this? This is what it means to to boast in our weakness. Because none of this 
It's by our strength, style, or status. Lastly, verse 23 uh, through chapter 2, verse 4. Paul boasts in the love of God. These verses are are so precious here because Paul's, he's sharing his anguish and his affliction um, because he loves the church. He cared so deeply for these people that he had to set some boundaries so that he would not cause harm to them or to himself. And as a side note here, if I had time, I would talk about how sometimes the most loving thing you can do is set boundaries in your relationships. But what's on display here is a love that comes from mutual submission. That's really what spiritual authority is. Verse 24, Paul didn't want to lord over their faith, but he actually is submitted to them by serving and and giving of his life so that they might have joy in their faith and he expects the same from them. And therein lies the perceived danger of weakness. If I embrace my weakness, what if you take advantage of me? What if God takes advantage of me? What if you hurt me? Church hurt is real. And it's hard to address within the church. And, and I see it. I, I see it all with, within the church. Um, we see it all from, from the pews to the pulpit. <laughs> Pastors struggling with church hurt. I mean, just last year, Barnard reported that an unprecedented 38% of pastors are seriously considering leaving the ministry. And this is from an overwhelming discouragement in trying to lead. But it's in the pews also. The Gallup poll reported last year that for the first time in history, a majority of U.S. adults do not attend a church. Trust in the church and the pastor is at an all-time low. And what's behind those numbers on, on some level is hurt. And the suspicion and discouragement that that hurt breeds. And then the call of the gospel is to experience power in weakness. That's foolish, isn't it? Isn't it smarter to to focus my energy on protecting myself and staying away from any and all pain? Isn't that the most natural thing to do? But is that the way of Christ? Did Christ do, do any and everything that he could to avoid pain? Did he run from people When he encountered their sin? Of course not. Hebrews 12 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. A pain like no other for for people that mistreated him and did not even think about appreciating him. And to be in Christ means to follow him in being a living sacrifice, not to minimize the seriousness 
of sin. Not to minimize the seriousness of pain, but to follow the way of the cross and find strength through weakness. Paul shows us what it means to to boast in our weakness in this passage. What what fuels power in weakness is God's grace, his, his promises, his love. These bind us together so much so that we experience God as we experience each other. And when we do, our, our perspective it changes. It's conformed to Christ. But, but that's, that's messy in a church. But that's the invitation. Paul Tripp wrote this about the church. Uh, look at it with me. He says, what is the church? It's a chosen gathering of unfinished people still grappling with the selfishness of sin and the seduction of temptation, living in a fallen world where there is deception and dysfunction all around. There is nothing comfortable or easy in this plan. The church is intended to be messy and chaotic because the mess is intended to yank us out of our self-sufficiency and self-obsession to become people who really do love God and our neighbors. God puts broken people next to broken people, not so they would be comfortable with one another, but so that they would function as agents of transformation in the lives of one another. Is this your perspective? I wish it was mine. I wish it was ours. May it be so. Maybe so that we would see that God wants to put broken people next to broken people to experience his glory, his transformation, his power. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, whether we believe it or not, we we are weak. Lord, there's moments when we are confronted with that reality. And it scares us. It scares us because we fear that we will experience pain in that weakness. And when we are exposed, we'll be taken advantage of. Lord, thank you that you do not minimize that fear. And you do not dismiss our pain. But you call us back. You draw us in so that we might experience your comfort and your healing. And in so doing, experience your power. So Lord, would you help us? Help us to surrender and trust that you are faithful even when we're faithless. In Jesus' name, amen.